0: Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello, welcome back to another Great Deception podcast. I'm Don Britton, and today I want to talk to you about a bearing fruit, about trees and vineyards, and and, and a lot of things that God has said about that, about how we're supposed to bear fruit and how he feels about it if we don't. I want to start in Psalms uh, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, How blessed is the man... "...who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in, in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away." Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So here's here's a point I want to make for you. If we we are to be a good tree planted by streams of water, that is living water. Now think about it. The the word of God is the living water. And, And if we're to be a tree that bears fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither then we must avoid the counsel of the wicked and we must uh, not uh, follow the w- the counsel of the world the world has its own methods its own has its own philosophies has its own way of doing things and we're not to follow that way if we're going to be that kind of tree and we're certainly not to stand in the same path that sinners walk on and we make sure we don't sit in the seat of scoffers you know, a scoffer is someone who hears the word, but he doesn't really do it. He's someone who, who just kind of treats it like it's not that important. That's really a scoffer. But we need to be someone who delights herself in the word of God and that we meditate upon it day and night. Now, that's what it takes to be the tree that's planted by the living waters that bears fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So that's that's what it takes. So here's a question for you. How can this happen... If we, as the as if we as the church in America, now I say we, I'm talking about all of us who claim to be a Christian in America. I'm not talking about us personally, me personally, or you personally, but we as a church, we as a church world in America, if we continue to take on the philosophies of the world, if we continue to live in sin, if we continue to do what the world does and to, and to listen to the world and to and to stand in the path of sinners. And to sit in the seat of scoffers and to take on the world's philosophy, the council of the world. How are we going to, how are we going to be that kind of a tree? How are we as members of the church? And how's the church going to be that kind of a tree if we keep on doing this same old kind of stuff? I'll give you, I'll give you a couple personal examples. I personally know of a pastor who had a small church here in the, in the city that I live in. And he uh, uh, and I knew him because he and I were both pilots and we were in the same flying club. In fact, he had me actually come to his church one time and do a marriage seminar and and speak more than once. Actually, I spoke more than once at his church. And I tried to help him at one point get his church on track. This was many years ago. But he was more interested in numbers. He was looking for numbers. He wanted to increase the attendance and the offerings and things like that. He wasn't so much interested in the things that I was, which was to try to get the people to 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 repent of their sins and to and to get right with God and so forth and so what he did was he ended up hiring after I left he hired this uh marketing firm to come in to his church and to give him all these ideas of how he could increase the numbers and increase the cash flow of his church, which sounds like something you would do in a in a in a business and so the the bottom line was he did not, and see so they were going to offer, you know, they were going to offer people things that people like, you know, like coffee and donuts when you come in and, and they were going to have all these little nice things for you, nice programs, and it wasn't going to be a lot of heavy preaching. It was going to be in a good music program. He was going to enhance a lot of things to try to make it more appealing to the normal person to try to get some quote unquote Christians to leave another church and come to his church. It was all about the numbers and the money. And so, but I can tell you one thing that I know for sure: he did not and was not going to preach repentance of sin and living and, and living a holy life. That was not anything he was going to offer in this marketing program. I also know, I personally know of another situation: a church is not far from here, where I just down the road from where I live here, where th- this church also has like a Bible school They, you know you can uh, you can go to this Bible school and they give you some kind of little certificate that you've been trained in. In the, in the theological uh, precepts of the Bible. So anyway, I know this young man that was going there and his, and, and, his, and his wife, who's now his wife, was also going there and they met each other at the church. They were members of this church and they also met each other in the Bible school and went together and they ended up getting married. Well, you know, they were just kids. They were young and they didn't have any money hardly at all and this Bible school, was, they were being charged for it quite a bit and so they ran up a pretty good bill That they couldn't pay. It was about $8,000 they owed the church for teaching them the Bible. If you can believe that, the church was charging them to teach them the Bible. Well, anyway, these two kids, they, you know, they got married and then in time they had one, two, and then three kids. And so, you know, they're a young couple struggling with three kids. He's just just an hourly worker at a job. You know, know, he gets hourly pay. His wife wasn't working because she had all these children to keep up with. And so they were struggling. They were just struggling to be able to live. And the church was hounding them, and they had to end up leaving the church, and they went and moved away to another city close to his parents so they could kind of have a little help. And this church was continually harassing them and threatening them to pay their bill. And I'm thinking, this is so ungodly. This is just like the world. It's like a collection agency or something. These are the methods that some churches use that this this couple— struggled and struggled, and he saved all the money he could because he wanted to pay him. He wanted to do what was right, but he just didn't have the money. And the church refused to forgive him of the, of the debt. So he saved and saved and saved. And then this year, he, he got a, a pretty large uh, income tax refund, and he got that stimulus check that, you know, a lot of people got way back, a while back. So between the stimulus check and his, and his tax refund and the money he had saved, he was finally able to pay off that $8,000 bill. I thought, such a shame that a church would harass this young couple and, and put them through that just to collect the money. And so here we are now. We're doing, the, you know, we're, we're, we're walking in the council of the wicked. <laughs> the church is walking in the council of the wicked to charge for Bible teaching and to market to try to get people to come in for the nickels, noses, and numbers, so to speak. So... <clears throat> To charge your own church members members for Bible training and to hire marketing firms to get more numbers is not from God. And there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on. I'm just I'm just touching the the tip of the iceberg here of the things that are done today in the name of God to try to increase numbers and try to increase uh, offerings. So these things are not from the God God, but they are from the world, and it's walking in the ways of the wicked. And I'll say on an individual basis, anyone who claims to be a Christian and who, who uh, is following any influence of the world, you know how the world is. world's all selfish and everything. The world's all about taking care of number one. The world's about not forgiving anybody that's done you wrong, you know, beholding a grudge, you know. That's the world, or, or like this church who wouldn't forgive this young couple of the $8,000 debt, you know, that's the way of the world. Anyone who won't forgive is of the world. Lying, to, you know, how, how in the world, you, you know, the world lies to gain advantage from you, whether it's financial advantage or any other kind of advantage. They, they cheat in business. They, they have uh, the uh, people of the world have a lustful eye. They, they, they entertain all kinds of sexual stuff on TV or Internet or whatever just for, for lustful pleasure or they are always, uh, the world is always obsessing over sports and games and football in particular, like I mentioned before, or pornography, which is a, which is a human uh, disaster. It's a human disaster, pornography is. It's in the church. The church is up to its eyeballs in it. 60, 70, 80% of men now in church are doing pornography. Over 50% of the pastors and over 30-something percent of the women are doing pornography in the church, not to mention our kids now that are getting into it it is a it is a disaster what's happening there so any christian who anyone who claims to be a christian but who is listening to and involving themselves in the ways of the world you know the love of money for example the uh, trying to have uh, you know trying to impress people with a great reputation or 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 just all caught up in all kinds of worldly entertainment and so forth these are people who are not only Uh, taking on the ways of the world but they're standing in the same path that sinners are walking on and they're seating themselves with a scornful with a scoffer so to speak they're doing it in the spirit so (laughs) this is the way this is the condition of the american church today now jesus had something to say about uh, fruit Uh, i'm going to go to luke's uh, chapter 6 verse 43 jesus said for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. So, for he goes on to say, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the tre- out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So. If a good man, here's the point I want to make. So you might say, well, you know, then nobody's good because everybody's going to sin. You know, uh, we all sin, you know, they say. We all sin. And it's true. We all can sin. We can all stumble. Uh, We can all err. But here's here's where the difference becomes, the difference comes in between a bad tree and a good tree. Let me explain to you. A good man or good woman, that is a good tree, if they happen to sin, which they can and sometimes do, we all sometimes do stumble. I mean, nobody's perfect. I'll, I'll grant you that. But if they happen to sin, they quickly rep- and then th- and then they quickly repent of their sin. They confess their sins to God and to men. You know, it says in James in the book of James, Con- confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. In other words. It's a humbling thing. It helps heal you of not doing this again. It helps encourage you not to go this way again. When you have to humble yourself before your brothers and sisters in the Lord and say, "Look, I have sinned," and so and then if this person, this good tree, if they go, they go to whatever trouble and extent they have to to make everything right with everybody, where where they offended somebody or wronged somebody in some way or or you know made a mistake it caused some harm or damage, and they they restore. You know, make good. I mean, it's like you know. I've loaned people, <laughs> I've loaned people tools and equipment before because I have a lot of tools, and sometimes they bring them back. You know, damaged, broke, skinned up, dirty, whatever. And then sometimes they don't do anything about it. You know, it's like they don't say anything, they don't worry about it. And so they're not really ta- making it right. But if you if you've done something wrong and you make it right with everybody, then your fruit's still good. That's my point. That's what a good tree is, a tree that only bears good fruit. If you make a mistake, if you sin, you correct it, you repent, you, you make it right with everybody, your fruit's still good because the end result is good. So it's a good tree. But the problem is, uh, but if anyone claims to be a good tree, now we have a lot of people claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be of God, claiming to be saved, claiming to be born again. But if anyone claims to be a good tree, that is the blo- that is to belong to Jesus Christ, but doesn't repent when he falls into sin. And he certainly doesn't repent quickly. Maybe drags out and continues in it for a while. I mean, you know, gets in pornography, stays in it for months or years or whatever. You know, he still goes to church. Well, then he's not a good tree, even though he looks good on the outside. Or if he does sin and decides, well, you know, I'm just try- I'm gonna try not to do that again, but tries to sweep it under the rug, so to speak he's not going to confess it to anybody. He's not going to admit that he did wrong. He's just going to be too prideful to humble himself and confess his sins. Or if he doesn't make things right when he's done wrong, he just kind of lets it go and doesn't, doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to bring it up, doesn't want to do anything about it. You know, he's a bad tree. I don't care if he's, uh, I don't care if he's the preacher at your church. I don't care if he's the pastor of, of a mega church. If he's like that, you know, how many pastors, I mean, I've watched pastors for years. I've been walking with God for 40 years, I have almost never seen a pastor who was humble enough to stand before his own congregation and admit a fault, much less a sin. I mean, they just won't admit it. They're so arrogant and they're so uppity, they just can't possibly lower themselves to be a normal person. And so that's a bad tree for you. Or here's another thing. If anybody claims to be a Christian, and I ran into this before, but they, they're holding a grudge against somebody. Maybe they're not, maybe they're not doing immoral things and maybe they're not cheating in business. Maybe they've got a lot of good qualities. But this one thing, they have a grudge. They have bitterness in their heart towards their parents or towards an ex-spouse or towards uh, a, a co-worker or towards somebody that that's, they feel has cheated them or done them wrong in life or abused them in some way. And they're holding on to this bitterness. There's no way they're going to be a good tree. There's no way they're going to go to hell. Jesus said, whoever uh, has anything against anyone, if he stands praying that forgive, because if he doesn't forgive those that wronged him, then neither will his heavenly father forgive him. So there's, 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 that's a bad tree. I don't care how good they are otherwise. I don't care how nice they are otherwise. If they hold on to a grudge, they're a bad tree. So, I want, you to, I want you to think about this because a lot of people are running around going to church and everything, but they got a lot of bad stuff in their life that they're not repenting of. And so they're really bad trees, but they're showing up at church as though they're good trees. Let me read to you from John chapter 15, verse one. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear good fruit or does not bear fruit, and of course he's talking about good fruit, He said he takes it away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, pruning is like this. You know, if you're in the Lord, you're under the discipline and the training of the Lord. Pruning is that right there. It's that clipping. You know, you've seen the pruning shears before. You you go in and you clip, you cut, and the Lord goes in and he cuts on our heart. He, he, He humbles us. He disciplines us. He corrects us. It says in Hebrews that he scourges every son. He disciplines every son that, that's his. He said, if you're without discipline, you're an illegitimate child. So there he is. He's doing the pruning. He's pruning. He's cutting. And the cutting is somewhat uncomfortable. It's it's somewhat painful to get clipped. And so, but he's doing that. He's circumcising our heart, you know. You see what it is to circumcise the flesh. Well, it's the same way with the heart. He goes in and he cuts off that, that dead part. He cuts off that extra part. He cuts off that that part that's not bearing anything so that you can actually then blossom out and bear some more fruit. So it goes on to say, and, and so he, he says, he takes away every branch. That, he says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So he says, you're already clean because of the word, which I've spoken to you when he's talking to his disciples. He said this, so now he's giving them a warning. He says, and an encouragement. He said, abide in me. In other words, you've got to stick with me, stay with me, walk with me, endure with me. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. So here's the thing. You can't bear fruit on your own. You can't go out and just grunt out fruit and say, Ugh, "You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Without Jesus, you've got to be in the vine that's where the nutrition, the power, and the influence and all everything comes from that gives you the ability to bear fruit. You can't bear fruit without him, but, you know, he, won't, but he won't bear the fruit for you. And in verse, in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them in the fire and they are burned. So here's the, here's the picture I want you to get. So you can be in Jesus, you can be in Christ, you can be in church, you can be saved, you can be born again, and you're hooked to the vine, and you can either bear fruit or not bear fruit. You can do either one. It's your choice. You can't bear the fruit without him, but he won't bear the fruit for you. So if you choose to obey him and to follow him with all your heart, you will bear fruit if you abide in him and stay with him and follow him and seek him and obey him and study his word and cry out to him. You will bear fruit. And in that process, he's going to clip you. He's going to prune you along the way. He's going to, he's going to correct you and instruct you and discipline you and train you and all that's going to be good. It's going to be sometimes be painful, sometimes humiliating, but that's part of the process. But he's going to be cutting off those old parts of your life that are no good He's going to be cutting off those old relationships that, are, that have damaged you before, be cutting off those old habits and disciplines that you, that those old pleasures you used to have, and then discipline you to take up your cross and deny yourself. So that's what is going to happen when you follow Jesus. It's the narrow way. And then as a result, as he continually clips you, that is, he continually prunes you, you will end up then bearing more fruit. But if you, if you do not seek him, and you don't obey him, and you just settle down for church attendance and settle down for the nominal American Christian experience, then you will not be bearing the fruit he's looking for, and he's going to eventually cut you off, and from being connected to him, that is, take you away from the life-saving, uh, uh, life-saving uh, connection with Jesus Christ, and then he's going to take you, cut you off, and cast you into the fire. That doesn't sound like salvation, does it? Well, it's not. So here's the point. So bearing fruit then is not an automatic thing. Just because you're in Christ, you're not going to automatically bear fruit. So I've heard some say you're just automatically going to. You're not going to. It's always a choice. You know, you you cannot bear the fruit of God without being in Christ. You can't do it on your own. It's not through works or through human effort or whatever that you can bear fruit and please God. You have to do it. Through Christ, you have to have him in you and you have to be connected to the vine. You have to be connected to the word of God and you have to be connected with the spirit of God in order to bear fruit, but it's still a choice. It's kind of like God has his part and you have your part. You know, in in my work, and I was an automotive technician for many years and of course ran a shop and was around all kinds of things that had to be fixed. And one of the things sometimes that had to be fixed was maybe a, a, a transmission case that had a little hole in it But it wasn't a place where there was pressure so it would just we so we take a product called two-part epoxy and this epoxy it had two tubes you know it had uh, there was a tube of the of the resin and there was a tube of the filler and you take the two and you squeeze out equal amounts onto uh say a a pad and then you took a little screwdriver or something you stirred them together and got them mixed together and you had to apply it pretty quickly once you put the two parts together then you put them on the place that you wanted to repair, and you would smooth it over, and in just a little while, just a little while, it got really hard. In fact, it would get so hard that you could grind it, file it, or drill it just like metal. And so it became like a metallic type of finish, uh, and it was very durable. It, w- it really worked well. And so that's the way it is with God. You see, there's God's part, and there's our part. And either part by themselves is, is not, is not going to work for you. I mean, God's always going to be God. Just because he's God doesn't mean you're going to be saved. You know, just because he's the Lord doesn't mean he's the Lord of your life. But when you apply yourself to God's part and you hook to the vine, the two parts come together. They become a very durable and strong product together. You can become strong in the Lord. It's why Paul said, finally be strong in the strength of the Lord and the strength of his might over in Ephesians chapter 6. You can't be strong outside of God because it takes God in covenant with you to make you strong, to be able to overcome sin, to be able to walk your way, to be able to bear the fruit he's called you to. So that's that's how it works. It's two parts. Here's the thing. You can't do God's part. And God won't do your part. So you have to join up with God, and you still have to obey God, you still have to seek God, you still have to follow God, but it's always your choice. So bearing fruit is always going to be a choice. Now Jesus goes on to say in another place in Matthew 21, or he tells a story about, uh, Matthew tells a story about what happened with Jesus here. In Matthew 21 verse 18, Now in the morning when he, he, that's Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it that he spoke to the fig tree and he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. In other words, he cursed the fig tree and it withered. So here's the question for you. We're, we're, <laughs> there's, a, there's a message here. We're the trees. We're supposed to have fruit on us. Now, if Jesus comes by you and checks your tree or me and checks my tree, will he only find leaves or is he gonna find fruit? Because it's not the leaves that he's really looking for. You know, leaves can be nice and pretty, pretty and a beautiful tree all covered, nice green leaves, but it's gotta have fruit on it. So leaves are leaves are things like this. And it's, this this is not fruit, of course. Leaves are the things like church attendance, uh, paying your tithes, singing in the worship service, uh, you know, supporting missionaries maybe, teaching Sunday school, being a preacher, even a pastor, or uh, prophesying. Oh, you have the gift of prophecy or or being able to speak in tongues like some say they do or or some do. You know, all these things are just leaves. (laughs) They're not fruit. There's a big misunderstanding today uh, in some circles that, that, that the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is some of these things like prophesying, speaking in tongues, or other spiritual gifts. That is not evidence of the Holy Spirit. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is fruit. It's fruit. You know, fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> it's the things that look like Jesus from the heart. Uh, it's things like love and joy. Humility. Yeah, you, yeah, humility is the fruit of the Spirit. You don't see much of that today in American Christianity. You know... Things like patience and forgiveness and kindness and goodness and uh, faithfulness and uh, diligence. W- w- what happened to diligence? We don't see many people. We see a lot of lazy, passive men these days who don't even lead their families. And I've got a podcast on that, one of the more recent ones. I said, where are the men of God? So you might want to go check that out. Uh, but, you know, diligence is the fruit of the Spirit, being faithful and diligent. Also, being a seeker of God, uh, being an obedient son of God, being Uh, One who is living in repentance of sin continually or one who is overcoming the world, the flesh and overcoming the devil. These are things that are evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, not the ability to perform a miracle or even speak in tongues or prophesy or raise the dead or anything. That's not fruit of the spirit. In fact, (laughs) the devil can do a lot of these things. He can even perform great signs and wonders. He was spoken of by Jesus that he was going to in the last days. It's everywhere. False prophets are performing miracles. False prophets have quote quote unquote the what appears to be the gifts of the Spirit. And they can duplicate and replicate in almost every almost everything outwardly that looks like a fruit of the Spirit. I mean it looks like a gift of the Spirit, I should say. So, in other words, signs and wonders. So here's the here's the issue. If all you have is leaves on your tree. That is just religious activity or religious gifts or or religious uh things on you, then you're if that's all you have, you're gonna be cursed by God. You're gonna you're gonna be like the barren fig tree. You're gonna be like the one that all withered up and and dried up and died. You know? And and you know, I'll just give you an example. Jesus warned about this in Matthew 7:21. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, we just saw that the will of God is to bear fruit. You know, and he goes on in verse 22 and says, this is Matthew 7, verse 22, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Now, Jesus didn't come back and say to them, no, you didn't do any of that. That wasn't the issue. Of course they did. They did all those things. But what he did say to them was, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, the lawlessness that we see today with those that do this, especially the prophets and the pastors and the, and the evangelists, that we especially on televangelists and people like that, we see is the lawlessness they're performing is first of all, they're very arrogant. They're very self-righteous. And they're motivated by money. And they make a big show of everything to get people to follow them and to send money to them. And they're becoming wealthy and rich off of that. You know, that's some of the lawlessness that we see with them. You see, the point Jesus was making here is this. And people are so deceived by this. If they see somebody that can do what they think is a sign and wonder, they think it's God. And and they think it's always God. Well, it's not always God. I'm not saying it's never God, but most of the time what we have today are false signs and wonders. So just because you can prophesy, even you, if you can prophesy in the name of Jesus, or you can cast out demons, or you can even perform miracles, but that does not mean, just because you can do that, does not mean that you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The devil can give bad trees power to do all these things, including prophesying and and seeing visions and and and, rec- and having quote words of knowledge or speaking in tongues, the devil can do all these things. Don't you remember in Egypt when Moses went down there? That the Egyptian magicians could duplicate virtually everything Moses did. They just couldn't do it to the same extent. But they could they could turn staffs into serpents. They could turn water into blood. They could they could bring in swarms of pestilence. They could do a lot of the things that that God did through Moses. But, you know, the thing is that Moses, at least Moses' snake swallowed theirs up, but, you know, they could still make it a snake. So we don't, so we, it was warned that in the last days that false prophets were going to be coming with great signs and wonders, that Satan was going to have all power to perform all kinds of false signs and wonders. So just because somebody can do some of that does not mean that they're really a good tree. So the devil can give bad trees the power to do all these things, and, and yet these trees can be devoid of things like uh, humility and holiness, you know, on the inside. So even though these trees look good, <laughs> they look good, you know, it's like Satan comes not, you know, he doesn't come with a pitchfork in his hand and, and uh, you know, horns sticking out of his head. He comes in a three-piece suit, you know, he, he looks like a sheep, but he's wearing, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, he, he looks good. He looks like what you think a Christian would look like. Looks like a man of God is whatever we think that's supposed to look like. But he comes, you know, he's a hes a devil in disguise, so to speak. So the devil comes and he, and he comes as an angel of light, bringing messages, using the Bible, using the word of God, twisting it around to accomplish the purposes of the false prophets. He does all this without them being holy or humble. Even though these trees look good, because they really do look good, and their leaves are just beautiful. I have most beautiful trees, most beautiful leaves, just really look good, but they're really bad trees at heart. And they were cast out of the kingdom of God, even though they could prophesy in the name of Jesus, even though they could do many mighty miracles in the name of Jesus, and they they were cast, they, and they could even cast out demons, but they were cast out of the kingdom of God because they were lawless in their hearts. Now, another parable that Jesus had about fruit and trees again, I'm gonna take you to Luke 13, starting in verse six, and he began, Jesus began telling this parable. He said, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this vi- this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? So this is the way I see this. God the Father is the owner of the vineyard. And he's the one that planted the tree. And Jesus Christ is the vineyard keeper. He's the one that really takes care of the, of the vineyard. And so... <laughs> The father wants to know why why this tree's still in the vineyard because it's got no fruit on it after three years and three years is a kind of a type of enough time. Well, it's not a technical number like you know somebody's going to be dead in three years spiritually speaking if they don't bear fruit. It depends on the circumstances, of course. But it, the the word three means enough. It's enough. It's enough time. It's enough time to bear fruit. So. But Jesus, but he, but in verse 8, the vineyard keeper, he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. In other words, I'm going to do some, some hard work here. I'm going I'm to take a, a pick and a shovel. And I'm going to start digging out some of this garbage that's in his life. And I'm going to deal with him. I'm going to bring some correction. I'm going to send someone to speak to him. Maybe to rebuke him, maybe to try to turn him from his sin, but if he and, and I'm gonna put in some fertilizer, I'm gonna send my word, which which should bring forth some some results, you know, whatever it is, whatever he's talking about here, about digging around putting in fertilizer, I'm just giving you some examples of what it could be. In other words, I'm gonna do something to try to turn him away from the way he is, Lord, Father, and I'm gonna to try to get him to bear some fruit. But if he and if he bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. In other words, that's how God feels about us bearing fruit. You know, he gives us time, but you know, it's our choice. We can't do it without him, but he won't do it for us. So how long have you been planted in the vineyard of God? Should you be bearing fruit by now? Have you been sitting in church for five years, 10 years, 20, some people 30 or 40 years? And nothing's really changed. You sing in the choir. You attend church on Sunday. You pay your tithes. But you really don't have a passionate, intimate, devoted, wholehearted relationship with God where you have a fervency in your prayer and you're very disturbed about the condition of the church and you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and you're crying out to God for the sake of souls. Are you, and you're not like that and you've been in church for 30 or 40 years. Do you think maybe you're not bearing any fruit? Do you think maybe you've been in there long enough? Maybe you've been in the vineyard long enough to bear bear some fruit? You think your tree ought to have some fruit on it by now? What do you think? You know, I want to tell you something again. Your church attendance is not bearing fruit. People think, well, I attend church. That's not bearing fruit. That's not what God is looking for. He's not looking for church attendance. You know, bearing fruit is not paying your tithes. You know, that's not bearing fruit. Or your ability to prophesy, or your, your, your gift to speak in tongues, or, or if you're a teacher of the Bible, or even you can do signs and wonders, you know, <laughs> that's not the fruit that he's looking for. We just read the scriptures that prove that. So, there are many false teachers and many false brothers and many false sisters in the body of Christ who can do miraculous things and who can, who can, can do great things and good things and things that appear to be good. But also, They are selfish and arrogant oftentimes. They're very self-righteous in many cases. And they're often greedy for money or greedy for power or greedy for the approval of man. And so as a result, they don't have the fruit of humility. They don't have the fruit of love and looking after the best interests of others. They don't have the fruit of care to try to turn people from their sins because they're focused on popularity and focused on being acceptable, accepted by the people. And they're not they're not bearing the nature of christ they're not bearing the the humble and loving nature of jesus christ so let me read again something else jesus said matthew 3 actually jesus was pointing this out it's about john the baptist i'm sorry matthew was actually pointing this out about john the baptist and he says uh, in verse 7 matthew 3 7 but when he that is john the baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not suppose that you can say yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. You know, the Pharisees, I think, well, you know, we're, we're Jews. <laughs> that makes us, you know, we, we, we're in the, we're inside. We're, we're the, we're, we're hooked in God here because we are Jews. That's like today somebody saying, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a, I'm a Catholic or I'm, a, I'm a Charismatic. Therefore, I'm okay with God. You know, that, that, the Lord does, He's not impressed by those titles or those, or those denominations don't mean anything to Him. And so, John the Baptist, His response to this was, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Again, we're talking about trees and we're talking about fruit. He says, therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what's God looking for? Is it not fruit? He's not looking for our religiosity. He's not looking for our, quote, good deeds or our our church attendance or our abilities, our, our spiritual religious abilities. He's not looking for any of that. He's looking for a heart that's totally his, that out of that heart comes the fruit that looks like Christ, Jesus Christ. And Jesus also, has also said in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15, he said, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, as I mentioned earlier, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Come on, people, look around. Look at these false teachers. Look at what they do. Look at how they live. Look at the way they act on TV. Look at how they stand before churches as pastors on Sunday. Look at their arrogance, look at their self-righteousness and listen to what they tell you. And it's not all of, always what they tell you that, that is the problem. It's what they don't tell you. They don't tell you that if you practice sin that you'll lose your soul. They don't warn you. They don't tell you that, that you must obey God and endure to the end. They don't tell you you must take up your cross and deny yourself or you can't even follow Jesus. They don't tell you things like this. They don't tell you that you must repent of your sins and completely walk in holiness or you can't belong to God. They'll tell you to pray a sinner's prayer. They'll tell you to ask Christ in your heart. They'll tell you to attend church, pay your tithes. They'll tell you to pay tithes when tithing is not even of the, for a Christian. I mean, go back and listen. To, I mean, I've got a podcast on that. The myth of the tithe. You need to go listen to it. They'll tell you to pay tithes and you have to pay tithes. That is not so. They, they, they expect to be paid as a preacher. That is not so. There's so many things they do and that they say that are not so and so many things that they don't say that are so that they leave out. So I'm just saying, beware of these false prophets. It says you'll know them by their fruits. And I've done several podcasts on false prophets and exposing them for taking money and for preaching for money. You can access my website at www.christianmyths.org and you can, you can pull up and listen to any of the podcasts I've done in the past. Uh, there's some videos I've done also you know, if you have any, I can't explain everything here today. I can't do it all at once. So I'm going to read some more scripture just to confirm everything I'm saying. The prophet Isaiah, he had this to say, and he was looking forward, and I can tell you the, the prophet spoke concerning today. He saw what was coming here in America today. He saw it coming in the American church today. Here's what he said. Isaiah 5, chapter 5, verse 1. He said, let me sing now for my beloved my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard Uh, my well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill he dug it all around he removed its stones and he planted it with a choicest vine and he built a tower in the middle of it and he also hewed out a wine vat in it then he expected it to produce good grapes but it produced only worthless ones Oh, now, and now, oh, inhabitants of Israel and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I've not done it? Why then, when I expected it to produce, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? Now, you know, stop right there for a minute. He says, what more was there to do for my vineyard than I've not done in it? Jesus has done everything for us. He gave his life for us. He went to the cross. He suffered for us. He gave up his blood and his life so that we may live. What else can he do? Then he sent his word. He gave us his Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth and to comfort us when we're persecuted and and to give us insight and power to do the will of God. He gave us everything. He said, hook to the vine and you can do anything you need to in me. He says, "I can, you can do nothing apart from me. So what else is there to do for us that he hadn't already done? He's done it all for us. So... When he expected his own people to bear good fruit, why do they bear worthless fruit? That's what he's saying. So here's what he said in verse 5. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard, to his own people, to his church. This is what he's going to do. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. In other words, that protective field around the church is going to be removed and I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste, says the Lord, and it will not be pruned or hoed any longer, but briars and thorns will come up, and I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. In other words, it is the people of God. And he goes on to say, "And," and, he says, and the men of Judah are his delightful plant because here's what happened thus he looked for justice but behold bloodshed he looked for righteousness but behold a cry of distress so you know in the church today we have no justice we have no one calling it out like it is we have a bunch of of uh uh, men that are doing ear tickling and speaking blessings and speaking prosperity and making promises of heaven while they themselves are slaves of corruption. This is what we have today. He said he looked for justice, but all he found was bloodshed. In other words, bloodshed is the slaughter of God's people, the slaughter of millions of Christians by false prophets and false pastors who are preaching for pay, who are doing it for the money, who are tickling ears, who are taking away the lives of people, giving them a false hope, taking down a false road, having them to pray a false sinner's prayer, telling them that they're saved, telling them that they're going to heaven while they themselves are slaves of corruption. And God said, I look for righteousness. I look for right and holy living among my people. But all I found was a cry of distress. In other words, it's just not there. And this is what's going on today like never before. This is the American church today. It is a vineyard producing worthless fruit. As a result, the Lord has removed the hedge and the demons have flooded into the church and the, and the world has taken over the church. The world's philosophy, the world's ways and the, and the, and the, and the uh, false teachers are just, uh, they're, they're rampant all through the church and so the demons have consumed the church. The devil has consumed the church today. The church in America is no longer pruned or hoed. You know, when you get pruned, you bear more fruit. They're no longer pruned. But it's full of thorns and briars and full of every kind of, of awful weed, so to speak. All kinds of falseness. And it's, it's filthy. It's a, it's a dwelling place of demons, as it says over in Revelation. And this, these thorns and these briars, you know, just like it is over in, the, in Mark 4 in the, in the parable of the sower and the seed. These thorns and these briars are, are things like the, the church is full of the worries of the world. And it's full of the deceitfulness of riches, and it's full of the of desires for other things. This is the church today. This is its pitiful condition today. As a result, then it's not bearing the fruit. The it's not bearing fruit thirty, sixty, and 100 fold like the good heart does, because this is what's happened to the church. And the Lord is no longer raining down His word. It's it's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. The famine for the word of God, the word of repentance, the word of holiness, the word of righteousness. The word of loving God with all your heart. It's a famine in land. You don't hear these things anymore, and the, and and of course the Lord is not raining the Holy Spirit on the church because another spirit's taken over the church, and the Lord has allowed this. In fact, He said He was going to actually cause this to happen, because they didn't continue loving Him and obeying Him and seeking Him. So she, the bride of Christ, has been given over to another spirit, to a harlot, to through the spirit of a harlot, and she's given over to the spirit of the world and the spirit of the Antichrist, and the spirit of the devil. That's who she is now. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, here's the the summary of what I just said. And John, the writer here, says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with all of his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, the great harlot the great the, what was once the church has fallen and has become Babylon the great harlot he goes on to say she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird for all the nations see this is what this is what Isaiah was prophesying about he said this is what was going to happen to the vineyard of God and he goes on to say, she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of all these unclean spirits for all the nations. See, the nations are like the denominations. You know, the, the thousand denominations, the 60 denominations of Baptists, and Catholics, and Methodists, Charismatic, Pentecostals, you know, Presbyterians, on and on and on. The, uh, Lutherans, you know, there's no end to it. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality that is, she her immorality is that she's in bed with the world, and the kings of the earth. You know, I've done a teaching about the kings. If you want to go listen to it on one of the podcasts, how that, how that the the ministers, the preachers of today are living like kings, and the kings of the earth, which are the which are the paid preachers, and the ones who dominate and call themselves the clergy, the doctors, the reverends, and you know, all that kind of stuff. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. In other words. They they are in bed with her, and she's giving them what she, what he they want, and they're giving her what she wants. So they're having this immoral relationship. The kings of earth are, are are committing acts of immorality with the church world, and the merchants of the earth, the businessmen of the earth, have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. In other words, it's all a big business. It's a multi. I said before, the American church system of religion is a multi billion dollar industry verse 4 i heard another voice from heaven saying i heard this voice myself 38 years ago it said come out of her my people my people come out of her so that you may not so you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her sins, her iniquities. I wanna tell you that not only do you have to come out of her to live. Now, I've seen people come out of the organized American Christianity religious system. I've seen people leave their denomination I've seen them go home and start a, a, like a home group or home church with a few people, and that was a good step. But then they turn right around and have a mini Baptist church at their house doing the same things they did before, or a mini charismatic church at their house doing the same things they did before, or have a mini Catholic church at their house doing the same things they did before. It's the same old thing. You've got, not only do you have to come out of her, my people, but you have to get her out of you, my people. You know, we need to all turn to God and get a fresh start. You know, become a simple people of God. Church should not be like it's been in the religious world. We should, be, we should follow the First Corinthians 12 where everybody participates, where it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a coming together of the people of God, each one with his own gifting, participating in edifying the body. It should be more like that than having some one-man type thing. It's not a one-man show type thing. So, anyway, you got to get her out of your own heart. You got to forsake her ways. This American church system today has fallen from God, it has fallen and become a dwelling place of demons. As a result, she is filled with wickedness and sin and worldliness. This is the church today. So, I just want to encourage you if you really want to be saved, you must come out of her or you'll be destroyed with her. It's as simple as that. You know, I was troubled when I first came to the Lord, you know, 40 years ago. I was troubled by what I saw in the church. Even almost from day one, things didn't add up. It seemed kind of squirrely to me. I mean, the way the pastors acted, and I saw pastors that were real self-righteous and arrogant, and I saw, you know, I saw people in the church who were really in adultery sometimes, and they were, they were really some of them were hateful, some of them were mean, some of them were greedy, and they gossiped, and, and you know, I, I just, I, they lied, I thought, well, how can this be, I thought the church was going to be filled with holy people, when I when I came out of the world, I, I was just a worldly guy, I didn't know anything, and so I came in, and so things bothered me, and so I, I tried to bear with it, and tried a few denominations, I tried this church, that church, here, there, went here, where, went there, went to tent meetings, and Bible studies, and group meetings, and I was I was really bothered by some of the things I was seeing and hearing. It didn't add up. And so finally, I came across this scripture in about 1983, which is about 37, 38 years ago. And it said, come out of her, my people. And immediately, I got the word of God in my heart and I took my family. We went home. We left immediately this charismatic church we ran at the time, which a lot of strange and weird stuff was going on that wasn't of God. And so... And the pastor was, was a liar and a thief. He was immoral and he ended up stealing all the money from the people and leaving town and selling the property the church had bought to build a building on. I mean, it was all terrible what happened. So I came out and I came home. And that was almost, you know, best part of 40 years ago. And I've been seeking God ever since. That's why I'm speaking here today. I'm concerned. I'm concerned for everyone that you will die in the church system. You will lose your soul there. I would just say this, going to church for the most part, going to what's called church today for the most part, is probably one of the most dangerous places you can go. It's more dangerous than going to a bar because at least in the bar, you get more honesty there. You know what you got, you see what you got, you, you know, what you see is what you get kind of thing. But when you go to church, you're deceived into thinking you're getting God, that God is there when he's not there. You're in the midst of the dwelling place of demons. And that place is going to be condemned and destroyed. And you're going to be destroyed with it if you don't come out. That's, that's the warning that I give you. I've seen it. I know it. I understand it. And it's true. You can't be saved unless you come out. You just can't be saved. So I hope that you discover the narrow path that leads to the narrow gate. The narrow gate, which is the gate to squeeze through. The stri- Jesus says, strive to enter by the narrow way. You know, the narrow way is the way of persecution and suffering and bearing your own cross. It's the way of sometimes pain and agony. Sometimes it's a, it's a difficult path to walk on because it's not easy and it is difficult. But if but Peter said, if it's with difficulty that the righteous is going to be saved and it is with difficulty, what's going to become of everybody else? The answer is they're all going to hell. Do you want to do that? Jesus said, narrows away the, the smallest gate that leads to life and only a few. Only a few will find that way. So I hope you discover, may you discover that narrow path that leads to life. May you be willing to give up your religion. May may you be willing to give up your sins and give up your old life and give your whole heart to God and follow him and seek him with a whole heart that you may find him. So anyway, I hope you listen next week to another Great Deception podcast. Thank you for listening to The Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.